welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I am broadcasting from WOUF Wolf Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me again today. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or that follow button, do so right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday and you are going to want to check them out. You can also follow me on Instagram at Speak a Dogcast. And if you want even more great dog training content, become a patron of the show today at patreon.com slash speakadogcast. You can also follow me on my YouTube channel at speakadogcast as well. And of course, guys, if you love what you're hearing, do me a favor, take a moment, scroll on down, give me that five-star rating, leave me a review, or if you're on YouTube, click that thumbs up button. I would really appreciate it, guys. Yes. Now on today's show, how to connect with your dog. Very important bonding with your dog, a friendship with your dog, having your dog want to listen to you, you want to listen to your dog. Uh, It's all about connecting with them and making a good relationship. Then comes a segment on difficult dogs, difficult situations. Yes, how do we deal with some maybe difficult dogs and some situations that we get put into sometimes with dogs? And we're going to talk more in depth about that. Then comes our brand new segment, the history of animal mascots. I am super pumped to share this with you guys. Yes, our first pet segments uh, just completed. We went over all the presidents and their pets. And now it's time to move on to our brand new segment, all about the history of animals and their connection to colleges and universities around the country. Really awesome. So we're going to dive into that. Then comes the listener Q&A. And if you guys have questions with the listener Q&A, you can keep sending them my way. Email me questions at speakadogcast.com or feel free to just message me on social media. Now, before we get going with today's show, I have to give you that trivia question. And today's question is going to be, what mammal produces the largest litter of babies? Yes, what mammal produces the largest litter of babies? I will give you the answer to that question somewhere in today's show. So be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the podcast. Next on Speak a Dogcast, how to connect with your dog. It's not a big secret. Yes, there is a sort of formula to it, if you will. Definitely certain pieces of the puzzle you have to be able to put together to make a whole, to connect with your dog, to build, build that relationship with your dog. And look, I'm, I'm going to dispel the first uh, thing, the first, uh, I think, what, misinfo- misconception, there we go, misconception about how we connect with our dogs. Because what does everybody think it takes? Love and affection. That's it. Nothing more. It only takes love and affection to connect with your dog. And that could not be more wrong. It's like saying it only takes love and affection to connect with your child. Anybody that's a parent out there knows what a load of crap that is. Uh, (laughs) Because it's just not true. Uh, It takes a lot more than that. Look, it takes a lot of information, input, to create a well-rounded human being, doesn't it? Takes a lot of information. Takes takes the discipline and the affection, right? It takes rules, boundaries, consistency, um, tough parenting. That's what it takes to make a well-rounded individual, a well-rounded child that turns into a well-rounded adult. And it's going to be no different for your dog. What's going to change for your dog is the structure of that and what that looks like, right? dogs are wired differently than you or I. They, they are not the same because if they were, we wouldn't call them dogs, we'd call them humans. And so we have to take that and go, okay, well, in order to connect with our dog, I have to understand what a dog is, right? That's where it starts. That's where it begins. And yes, there's definitely other things we can do to build a good relationship and a good bond with our dog. Um, 
But to me, in order to build and facilitate that relationship, I have to understand how dogs create and facilitate relationships, right? Makes sense when you think about it, yeah. And look, <laughs> you want to bond with your dog, guys. You got to treat them like a dog. That's what I mean by understanding what they are and knowing how to connect. You have to treat dogs like dogs in order to connect with them as a dog, as a human dog uh, relationship, right? And I think that's the biggest thing that people don't do. Like that right there unto itself is the reason people don't have a better connection with their dogs. They don't treat them like dogs, okay? So what do I mean by treating a dog like a dog? Well, guys, what are dogs? They're pack migratory animals. I go back to it all the time. Domesticated wolves, it's so true because it is what they are at their core. And a domesticated wolf, well, they're predators, they're pack animals, they're migratory animals. So right there, that and right there, that's how we solve a lot of um, behavior. Well, not solve a lot, uh, rather, excuse me, that's how we fulfill a lot of the natural instinctual things that a dog is at its core. And if we can fulfill pack mentality, migratory, predatory, instinct, right? If we can fulfill those things, that's how we start building a relationship with our dog. But if we have a dog who isn't fulfilled, if we have a dog that isn't getting their instinctual fulfillment, their physical fulfillment, their their needs, they're not for lack of a better word, they're not getting their needs met, how can you have a good bond with them? Think about it in the human world a bit, not that I you know, want to compare humans and, 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 and dogs necessarily, but I want you to think about relationships in your own life. You probably have a friend, maybe you've had a friend in the past or something. You've had a relationship where the friend doesn't take care of themselves like they should. And maybe they don't nurture their own needs the way they should. And what ends up happening when we don't give ourselves physical fulfillment, mental fulfillment, engagement, uh, enrichment, all of these things, when we don't give ourselves those instinctual basic things, what happens? We have a grumpy friend. <laughs> we have a friend you maybe don't want to hang out with so much. We have a friend who doesn't understand how to reciprocate friendship back. We have a person who has not found balance in their life. And that's what we have when we have a dog and we don't fulfill their basic instinctual needs, but want to connect with them. Guys, it's going to be hard for your dog to connect with you to the level that you're looking for if you don't give them what they need. For lack of a better phrase of putting it, giving them what they need. I don't mean <laughs> give a dog whatever they want. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying a dog is going to make all the right decisions and say, hey, this is what I want. Now give it to me. That's it. You, know, you get what I'm saying. <laughs> I could hear some people twisting my words there. So I just wanted to clarify that. Um, but yeah, guys, it, it starts with basic instinctual needs. And as I always go back to, it comes back to the proper walk and the proper amount of walk. If you have a dog who is understimulated or maybe is a high energy breed and we're only walking them for 20 or 30 minutes and they've got all this built up energy and the pent up energy and this excess energy and they're doing all this stuff we don't want with that energy and, and they're just, they're not engaged to us. You know, there, there's no, there's no mental engagement going on there. It's right off the bat. It's because your dog has so much energy. They literally can't make you a priority, right? They can't focus and think about you. And if your dog can't focus and thinking about you, you're not going to be able to connect with them in a way you could. So it goes back to starting with proper amounts of walks and exercise for your dog. And not to mention it, you know, again, if you haven't listened to my walk segments, go back and check them out. Lots of good segments on the walk. But it goes back to 
creating some focus, creating some rules, some boundaries, some discipline, showing your dogs that you have something to offer information, you know, informationally, whether it be reinforcement or punishment, those are both forms of information. And so if we can establish these things on the walk, that right there is the first stepping stone to bonding with your dog and connecting with your dog. I can't stress that enough, guys. If you are not creating a proper walk for your dog, and then in turn creating all the structure, rules, affection, information, all the stuff I just said that comes with the walk. If you are creating that as your foundational building block, I'm telling you right now, you're not connecting with your dog the way you could be. It, it really comes down to it. It comes down to that level of simplicity. Look, years ago, uh, when I first started training and working with dogs, um, for those of you, you know, in a nutshell, I, I started by reading some books and getting myself out there. Now, I, I didn't have all the information, but one of the things that I always took from the information I was reading was that there's this common theme, and that's that you should walk your dog, and you should walk them properly. And all these books that I read, it was almost always a common theme. And I remember when I started getting out there and creating purpose on my walk with my dogs, it started becoming a bonding experience like I, hadn't, I had not had with them. And so it's from my own experience. It's not just from like, yeah, get out there and walk your dog because they're dogs and that's what they want to do. I saw the night and day difference in the bond and the connections that I had with my two dogs at the time years and years ago. The connections that I had with those two dogs just skyrocketed once we did a proper walk. So I know I beat it in the uh, guys, walk your dogs, walk your dogs. But I, it's, like, it's like the end all be all. And if you're not providing the proper amount right? If we're not providing the proper structure in the walk, if the walk is not where it should be, you're never going to connect with your dog more. So I know I spend a lot of time harping on it, but there's a damn good reason I do. <laughs> it, it's the building block. And without that, forget everything else. All right. So one other way I want to talk about, and this kind of goes along with the walk and what the walk starts contributing to, but not letting your dog control you. That's how you connect with your dog, David? Yes. Yes, it is. Look, guys, dogs want to be told what to do. And the more you can provide that in a healthy and balanced way, the more your dog is going to want to connect with you. Dogs want to take that backseat position and have a leader guiding them, giving them balance in their life. And if you can be the leader of your dog and create that balance, your dog has nothing more to worry about and it's easier for them to connect with you. Okay. How about living in the moment? Let's talk about that one. Guys, I'm not totally into the Chinese philosophy. I've read a little bit about it and, you know, but I will say there's one quote I've always loved that has always stuck with me. You may have heard me say it on this podcast before, but it's a quote by a, um, a Chinese philosopher by the name of Lao Tzu. And he says, to live in the past is to be depressed. To live in the future is to be anxious. To live in the present is to know and I think the reason that this saying has stuck with me for so long and gets repeated so often is it is the essence of a dog. It is. A true, balanced, relaxed, well-adjusted dog is not thinking about something from the past, is not thinking about what's happening 10 minutes. They're thinking about the moment here and now. And for that matter, all dogs live in the here and now. Some of them get stuck in the past or stuck in the future. And that's when we have anxiety, depression, uh, maybe some aggression tendencies. That's where those start coming up when a dog can't find themselves living in that balance because that's where, that's where they're supposed to be. They're supposed to be in the here and now. And when they try to not live in that moment, 
which they can't, they're not capable of not living in the current, when they try to, it creates these issues. And so I stress this to my clients that you have to live in the moment to be connected with your dog. And if you want your dog to be balanced, it's the same thing. Your dog needs to live in the moment properly, as do you. So don't think about, you know, and I, I, it's funny, I had this discussion with a client earlier this evening about we got to live in the moment. We don't want to think about what's happening. If your dog hasn't done anything wrong, you can't expect something, you know, you don't want to be expecting the wrong thing to happen. And I know it sounds kind of silly, but that that little disconnect there can get in the way of connecting with our dogs. Not being in the moment can have a profound impact on getting in, as, as causing a barrier between you and your dog. So live in the moment and be present in the now goes a long way toward connecting with your dog. Okay. What else can we do? How about playtime? We haven't talked about the playtime side of it yet because it is an important part of it, but it's not the end all be all. Playtime is so important as a bonding experience for your dog. And it's very important that you do play with your dog, uh, whether that be with a toy or, or, you know, well, that's how we mostly do it with a toy <laughs> or you're playing chase a little bit or running around the yard or there's all kinds of fun things we can do to play with our dogs. Um, we can create fun games. I've talked about that before, creating structure in our playtime. Uh, if we're gonna throw a tennis ball, how about not just throwing the ball and having them bring it back, but how about telling them to drop it, leave it, tell them to stay, throw the ball, let them go chase, and then release them to the ball. Um, enhancing the amount of structure we have during playtime can help enhance the bond with your dog. It can really help you connect with them. Look, making your dog work, Making your dog work, you heard me correctly, can actually help the connection with your dog. Um, look, the example I give is when I worked at an animal show years ago, um, we had a lot of dogs at this show and a lot of different breeds and sizes and personalities. And you get to work with quite a few of them while you're there. And look, I, I'll be honest, I never really, before I worked there, sure, tricks with dogs, you know, teaching a dog tricks. I viewed that as like a fun thing, but nothing more. It was just something fun to do and whatever. But after I worked at the show and you see these dogs that have these routines and they learn them and they they love them, they crave it. They want to learn these things that you throw at them. And, 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 and once you do, once they do learn it, and you, it's like this bond and connection you make with them. Dogs want to work. They love being given these artificial tasks to do. Why do you think dogs make such great service animals? Police dog, military dogs, uh, 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 emotional support dogs. There's a reason that dogs fill this niche so well. It's not just we bred them and designed them to do this. It's also because they want a job. And giving them that fulfillment can truly enhance the bond you have with them. So, you know, I talked about trick training a couple episodes ago. Um, but don't discount the tricks. <laughs> it's really important. It can be a great way uh, to give your dog something to do, to give them mental stimulation, and as well as enhance the bond that you have with them. So make your dog work, even during playtime, teaching them to stay, throwing the uh, ball, then releasing them to it can go a long way. Uh, teaching them that drop it command, teaching them to pick something up and hold it in their mouth, right? A toy, pick it up, hold it, good boy, drop it, good, go get it. Right, all these fun things that we can incorporate into playtime that help create structure and and help uh, help enhance the bond with your dog. Okay, so these are the aspects of creating and connecting with your dog that you may not have thought about. 
But look, it starts with structure, rules, and discipline, and boundaries, and then affection. Um, look, if if we give a, affection is a form of reinforcement, right? If we go to like to the behavioral side, less on the connecting side, and think more like structure behavioral. If you think about it. And for that matter, from the perspective of human beings, you're not going to give a kid dessert before they do what you need them to do. Like, hey, you didn't get straight A's yet? Okay, cool. Well, here's all the reward anyway that I promised you. Like, that's not how it works. It's, hey, here's the reward, but you're not going to get it until you get straight A's. The reinforcement has to come after the fact. So when people just give all of their affection and all that stuff away for free, don't make them work for it. You're actually reinforcing, number one, you're reinforcing undesired behaviors and you're not reinforcing focus. And number two, you're giving it all away for free so you literally have no way to motivate your animal. People don't like to hear this part either, but connecting with your dog is is manipulation. (laughs) David, that's so mean. No, it's not. It is. It's manipulation. Guys, do you stay with your spouse, significant other, if you don't get something out of the relationship, some of you do, and you shouldn't. If, you're, if your significant other is exploiting you, they're manipulating you to the point of exploitation that you're not even getting anything out of the relationship, and therefore, you're the one actually being exploited. I know. Whoa, truth bomb, David. Holy crap. <laughs> but it's true. It's true. Look, guys, relationships are manipulation. Even professional relationships are manipulation. You're not going to go to work tomorrow if you're not going to get a paycheck for it. And I got news for you. Your employer doesn't want to keep paying you if you're not going to show up to work tomorrow. Manipulation. There's nothing wrong with that level of manipulation until it becomes exploitation. So if you think about it, manipulation is actually how we find balance in our life, number one. But number two, manipulation is how we create friendships, relationships, you know, intimacy even. It all is through manipulation. And so it's no different with your dog that in a way, yeah, you manipulate them into forming a bond with you no differently than we do with human beings and to each other. People don't like to hear that word manipulation, but manipulate doesn't mean bad. It doesn't. Exploitation's not so good. I don't like that one. Uh, But manipulation doesn't have to be exploitation. And that's the point. So if you guys think that bonding with your dog is some crazy secret or it's only can be done through affection, and you're wrong. It's manipulating through reinforcement, affection, structure, rules, boundaries. It's the whole Megillah. All right? So... I know there's a lot of things that go into it, but it always starts with the basics, okay? So always go back to those basics. Hone in on that stuff first and then build off of it, okay? Um, bonding with your dog is an awesome thing, but it takes time. It takes it takes consistency. It takes work. It takes training. Look, the other day I was out with my uh, bunch of dogs on a walk, and I had a guy riding a bike by me, and he was he was impressed. He said, it's amazing. You know, it's really awesome. What's the secret? <laughs> I kind of laughed and said, buddy, there's no secret. There's time, consistency, training, and hard work. That That's how you get it. He goes, but they all seem, they're all so happy. They like you. They're not trying to attack each other. They're, they're not pulling away from you. It's, we have a bond. Even my client dogs, I have a bond with them. And don't think that bond came from me just giving away affection and treats left and right. That, that's just not true. Um, that's a lot of it, but it's not all of it now, is it? Uh, same day, actually, I had another woman stop me, and she she couldn't believe it. She goes, they're all just sitting there. They're all being so good. They're all, they all they seem to love you. They all like you. That, that seem to love me because they're all sitting there. Isn't that an amazing connection? The dogs are being good, and that automatically means they love me. Aha! So we formed a bond. They seem to love me, but it's their rules, boundaries, discipline. Okay, all right, I'm beating a dead horse now. I'll, keep, I'll move on. Um, <laughs> guys, a lot of things go in 
to creating a good bond with your dog and connecting with your dog. And if you truly want to connect with your dog, you have to understand what they are at their core, create that fulfillment through structure, rules, boundaries, affection, all that good stuff. And that's what adds up to creating a wonderful connection with your dog. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? Well, we can help. At the Nature of Training and Speak a Dogcast, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Our virtual training programs are catered to you and your pet and create a training plan that gets results. For more information, you can check out our website at www.thenatureoftraining.com or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Speak a Dogcast. With the ability to connect, teach, and train with pet owners around the world, together we can make a better home for our furry friends. The Nature of Training and Speak a Dogcast, helping you achieve success with your pet. Speaking Dogcast, difficult dogs, difficult situations. Now we're talking about a few different things today, right? We talk about difficult dogs, uh, yeah, maybe talking about rescues a little bit, dogs that come with some baggage, with some traumatizing experiences. Uh, we're gonna talk a little bit about that, as well as difficult situations. Look, maybe a dog has been placed in your care unexpectedly, or there's a slew of things we can talk about with that too. So we're gonna talk a little bit about each. Now, the first thing I wanna talk about is the difficult dog side, and we're gonna talk about rescue dogs. Guys, the first thing I'm gonna say is, please have patience, all right? Just in a nutshell, you gotta have patience when it comes to your rescue dog. I'm sure a lot of you out there have heard of the 333 rule, the three days, three weeks, three months. And what it is to say, you know, again, kind of in a nutshell, after three days, your dog is maybe going to start feeling a little more comfortable around you, starting to get used to some of their environment, their surroundings. After three weeks, they're going to feel a little more settled in, maybe getting used to some of the routine you've been putting up, those daily walks, uh, you know, the, the, the actual routine of your day and how things go, getting settled in, maybe starting to even feel like it's their home a little bit. And after three months, that's when they're really starting to settle, actually feel like it's their home, totally feeling, not totally, uh, but feeling comfortable in the sense that, hey, this is my routine, I'm used to it, I know what to do. It brings comfort, brings familiarity. It's not to say that after three months, a rescue dog is gonna be perfect or perfection um, or 100% or comfortable even. It really depends on the dog in the scenario. But with that said, I kinda of wanna focus on that 90 days, three months, right? The three, 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 into that three months. We all hear the word three months and we go, yeah, three months. But when you really think about that, it's 90 days. 90 days, guys, that's a long time. That's a quarter of a year, you know? Like you think that's a fourth of an entire year. 90 days is a long time to have patience, <laughs> to have understanding, and it is what is required when you have a dog that you've rescued that comes with some baggage, okay? So this is the unfun, the not so fun part um, of rescuing a dog that we really have to be aware of and you have to practice more than anything. Patience, right? You have to have patience. Look, my own dog, Nemo, I've talked about him how many times in this podcast. He was the ultimate test of patience and he broke the 333 rule. <laughs> we could probably call it 10, 10, 10. Uh, 
with him. <laughs> I joke, I joke, I kid, I kid. Do I? No, he was a nightmare, guys. I love him to death. He has turned into such a sweetheart of a dog. He has really settled into this house, but it took work, time, and dedication. So when we talk about a difficult dog, I can't stress it enough that the biggest thing you have to have is patience. But there's a few things after that that come with it as well. Knowledge and understanding. That comes with right. Uh, it comes with uh, uh, hiring a professional. There we go. That's what I'm trying to say. It comes with hiring a professional. Now, not always, right? You can do your own research. Maybe your rescue dog is not too terribly traumatized. There's just a couple rough around the edge things. But guys, at the end of the day, you have to have that knowledge and understanding. And if you don't, and you don't have the means to gain that, you have a really let's say you have a difficult dog. Um, a really difficult dog, then you're going to need that professional help. So please don't hesitate to call a professional. Bare minimum, get an assessment and see what they say, right? Um, but I, I can't stress it enough. If you have one of these difficult dogs, you can't just throw them back to the shelter and return them without exhausting all your options. That's that's my personal look. That's where difficult dogs, the second side of it is difficult situations. Maybe the dog is not the ideal dog for your family. And that can happen. But... In my opinion, without as a professional, without exhausting all options, without trying everything, I don't think it's really fair to the dog and fair to your family. So don't just get a dog, see the baggage, and immediately send him back, guys. You know, work through it. Give him some time. And with time and the right knowledge, the right understanding, the right training, you might be surprised at the result that you'll get back. Okay. So that's really something to think about when it comes to... Um, to, to dogs that are, uh, excuse me, trauma cases and rescue dogs and things like that. I think the biggest thing that people just don't have enough of is that is that patient side of it. So that's definitely the biggest thing with uh, difficult dogs I wanted to talk about. Now, another thing is what happens when we have maybe not the right, we have a difficult dog and maybe it's just not the right fit. I'll be honest, because I, I really try to avoid telling people they should or shouldn't have a dog because it's a very personal thing. It's a very intimate thing. Am I going to tell you, hey, maybe you guys are not the most active and you have an incredibly active dog. Maybe this isn't the right fit. I'm more than happy to give my opinion on it. But when it finally comes to the final decision, that's not up to me. Because here's the thing. People can change. I do believe that. Do most people? No. But people can. <laughs> there are people who can change. Everybody's capable of it, but man, it's not always easy. Um, the point I'm getting at is maybe you do get a dog that's higher energy than you thought. You've rescued this dog. You're in it now. And you go, you know what? Lifestyle change. I'm going to do a 180. I'm going to turn around. I'm going to start exercising and running and, and going for a jog with this dog every day for a mile, you know, three and a half miles, whatever. That's not up to me. And so I don't want to sit here and go, no, this dog's not right if you get rid of it. Because if you don't ever stop and think about Maybe I could be living my life differently. Maybe this dog is what I need to make the change. So if I'm just going to be that, no, don't get, just get rid of this dog. It's not for you. I don't think that's the right thing for me to do. I think it's my job to help give people the right information and help you get pushed or push yourself, whichever direction that might need to be. Now, I am a realist. <laughs> I am a realist. And there are certain scenarios where, look, this is my, I always, I always have an exception to the rule. I have on a rare occasion told somebody maybe, yeah, you know, you shouldn't have this dog. I have said that on a rare occasion, but most of the time I'm going to let people come to that on their own because it's their decision. Look, I can recognize a bad situation. That's the second half of this, right? I can recognize a bad situation where this, this just isn't going to work. Let's talk about difficult situations. 
grandma went out and got a six-month-old German Shepherd puppy, and grandma's 87 years old. I don't care how much training there is. No. Like, no. 87-year-old grandma does not need a German Shepherd. I'm sorry. Um, no. <laughs> like, just no. Um, that's a difficult situation. That's a difficult situation. You you want to tell you you want to go tell your mom, your 87-year-old mom, mom, you can't have this. Might be easier for some people. It'd be easy for me. I wouldn't hesitate. Mom, you're not having this dog. Now, luckily, my mom will not own a German Shepherd even at the age she is now, let alone when she's 87. Um, <laughs> so these are the difficult situations we talk about. What happens when people go out and get six and seven dogs and they live in a 2,000 square foot home and they have three children? No, difficult situation that shouldn't be happening. What happens when, and this unfortunately did happen, what happens when it wasn't a German Shepherd, but 87, 88-year-old grandpa goes out and gets a, uh, what was it, like 14-week-old retriever mix? Probably not the best of ideas. There are certain scenarios and certain situations where we can make it work, guys. And look, I'm not to say, it's not to say, if you want to go out and spend 30, 40 grand on training for a dog, that where this, you know, the trainer's taking it for months and months and months and months, if not over a year, uh, they've worked this dog to be a protection dog or something, and and it's the right situation for grandma or grandpa, by all means, because the right time and money and, and training has been put in place. But the reality is, guys, 99% of these situations are never going to do that. And y'all know, you know it. Come on, like. So these difficult, difficult situations, what happens when mom and dad pass away and dog gets thrown to the children? Look, guys, this is a tough thing. What happens when you get a dog who's not well behaved and you have, a, and this, is, this happens too, you have a family, you have three children and mom left a Shih Tzu to you and you don't know what to do with it because Shih Tzu is barking and aggressive and look, guys, again, I'm a realist. If that dog is not going to fit into your lifestyle, then we need to find a new home for that dog. I'm a realist. Find the right rescue. Find a no-kill rescue. Be smart about these things. Um, let's do what's in the best interest of not only your family, but the dog as well. Um, but this is where I'm a realist, and maybe it's not the best idea to keep this dog. Difficult situations are just that. They're difficult. Life is full of difficult stuff and it's not always easy, but I want you guys to make the responsible decision and the responsible call when it comes to this kind of stuff, okay? Um, <laughs> got dogs snoring in the background again. Um, you know, look, it's it's never fun. It's it's funny, I was actually, we were, <laughs> we were jokingly having this conversation with my in-laws the other night uh, about taking a license away from mom and dad and grandma and grandpa. And we kind of looked at them and said, yeah, we're going to have to do that to you one day. Don't forget. That stinks, doesn't it? It stinks to have to make these kinds of decisions to tell your mom, mom, I know you've had lab Labradors your entire life, but you're 78 years old now, mom. You can't go out and get a six month old lab puppy. Okay. Because in five years, you're not going to be 78 anymore but your dog is still going to be pretty young. <laughs> okay. That's the thing, guys. It's, you got to make smart decisions on behalf of not only yourself, but the dog too. And I don't think it's very fair of a dog, uh, fair to the dog. Like again, if we, let's, let's just do the math. Grandma's 78. She's going to be 82 when the dog is five. A five-year-old lab still needs to be walked daily for like an hour or more. 
They need playtime and socialization time with their other friends. And if we don't give them these things, we get frustrated dogs. We get dogs that could potentially pull grandma over or knock her over. I mean, ugh. difficult dogs, difficult situations. Guys, be a realist about this kind of stuff, okay? I don't want to see anybody getting hurt, and I don't want to see the dogs getting hurt. I don't want to see anybody put in a bad situation. There are so many ways we can alleviate these problems just by using logic and reason, okay? So, you know, I, I, I know it's not always the easiest thing when we go out. We want to do right by the dogs and we go get a rescue dog, but you got to be smart about this stuff. Know your lifestyle. Know if it's going to match the dog that you're trying to help. It's no different when we look at the difficult situation side of it. Know your family, your grandmother, your spouse, your loved one, your own family. Know your lifestyle, your needs, what you are going to provide for the dog, and what you may not be able to provide for the dog. Let's think about safety first. Be smart about these decisions. And while I know it's not always the easiest thing, don't use your heart to make decisions like this. Use your brain when it comes to dogs, difficult dogs and difficult situations. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's the history of animal mascots. I am very excited to bring this brand new segment to you guys with the completion of our first pet segment. This is going to be the new segment taking its place. Now we're going to be talking about colleges and universities all over the country and specifically the universities and colleges with animal mascots. Yes, some of the history about that, how the animals came to be the mascots of those colleges that they represent. Now today, we're going to be starting with my very personal favorite, yes, the University of Florida. Now, the University of Florida, they, can, uh, they were founded back in 1853. Now, this founding date can be traced back to the origins of the school when it was Eastern uh, East Florida Seminary, founded in Ocala, Florida. Now, firmly nestled in the swamps of North Central Florida, roughly 37 miles north from the original campus location, Florida, or UF also as they're known, adopted an aptly named mascot, the Alligator, or simply put, the Gators. Now, unlike most colleges and universities, Florida did not decide on a mascot through a student body vote. Um, no, rather, it was a Gainesville local named Philip Miller who contributed to the idea of a reptilian mascot. Now, in 1907, Miller's son, Austin, he was enrolled as a law student at the University of Virginia. Now, uh, Miller went up to Virginia to visit his son, and Philip had the idea to purchase some pennants with UF printed on them in order to sell to students at his local pharmacy in Gainesville. Now, guys, you have to remember something. It's 1907, right? There's not like exactly print and embroidery shops around the corner everywhere. You can't just upload an image to the internet and have it sent to you within four business days. No, it's not really the way it works. Um, now, I'm sure there was probably an embroidery shop somewhere in Florida, maybe not in Gainesville. Uh, but even if that was the case, not everybody was making these pennants, right? There's probably one, maybe only two companies in the entire country that were printing up and making these college pennants, right? So the manager of the store actually brought them out some samples to look at of the schools they had done before. And of course, there was the Princeton Tiger, Yale Bulldog, and more. And that's when the Millers realized, you know something? Florida didn't have a mascot to represent them. Now, Austin suggested using an alligator as they were native to Florida and no other school had used them yet. The manager, this was, this was kind of funny, the manager had actually never seen an alligator before, not a picture, not in person, and he wasn't sure how to design it. 
Again, guys, right? 1907, he lived in Virginia. He probably had never even stepped foot in the state of Florida. So Austin, he went and found a picture of an alligator at the University of Virginia Library, and they had pennants and banners made up. Now, they had gators in a few different positions, some lying down, maybe a little more active, and they even had a gator head on one of the pennants, which is one of the logos that we can still see featured to this day. Now, this is the first time that an alligator had made an appearance as the mascot of UF, and in 1957, the first live alligator named Albert was kept on campus. Now, this was the first time the name Albert had also been attached to the mascot, and over the years, there was different versions of Albert. There was even a robotic version of him, apparently, which is kind of crazy. Didn't know that until I was uh, reading up on this, but it wasn't until 1970 that the first anthropomorphic version of Albert was played by a person in a suit. Now, Alberta joined the scene in 1986 as Albert's female sidekick and friend. I really do just love the fact that the native, uh, an animal native to the state of Florida was used as the mascot and represents the best school in all of Florida. The University of Florida fighting gators. Go gators! Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's the listener Q&A. The first question today comes from Carol from Arlington, Virginia. Carol says, my dog started shedding like crazy. I know you must see a lot of fur in your house, but do dogs go through phases like this? That's a great question, uh, question, Carol. Yeah, you know, look, dogs do blow their coats. Normally, it is seasonal, right? So it's it's May, we're coming into June, maybe a little bit late, later than usual for, for Virginia where you are, but they will blow their coat coming out of spring right? They will blow, or coming out of winter and then spring, they will blow their coat uh, in order to get rid of all that excess fur for the summer. Same thing sometimes coming out of summer going into winter, they'll actually blow their coat again. Uh, So usually one to two times per year is when a dog will blow their coat. And it's just not fun, right? (laughs) Got to bring out the Furminator and the vacuum. It's what you got to do. Now, there are other reasons that a dog will blow their coat, you know, whether it be stress or anxiety. A lot of times that can really contribute to it. So if you did have like a move or something like that recently, or maybe work has been really stressful and you're really stressed out, your dog's starting to pick up on it, uh, sometimes they'll blow their coat from that. But most of the time it relates to seasonal changes in weather. Like even myself down here in Florida, um, we'll sometimes see our dogs blow their coats seasonally. If we have a colder winter than usual, you know, uh, more of a colder winter than than usual. I, I I laugh saying that colder winter, like I'm in South Florida. <laughs> it does sometimes get chilly down here, but like, especially like in Orlando, when we saw a little more of a temperature change than we do down here, uh, we would notice that we would see them blow their coats, even for us, because you know, part of it is dogs in Florida are very used to the heat. And if it is going to be a little bit of a colder winter, they actually do need to thicken up that coat uh, to, to stay warm more than your average dog up north might, but obviously up north they they got them. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, seasonal changes are reasons that dogs will blow coats, but also anxiety and stress. So try to alleviate anxiety and stress. If that's not the case, then it's probably just seasonal. And like I said, just got to be extra diligent about brushing and keeping up with the fur. Next question. This comes from Erica from Jacksonville, Florida. Erica says, My husband is in the military, and we have had to move a few times recently. Now, I've noticed our dog is uneasy and kind of anxious when we get to a new location. He's very aware of everything going on. He barks more at things he hears, and he really just seems to be more uneasy. Now, it can take a few weeks, but then he'll he'll settle down. Is there anything I can do to make the move a little less stressful for him? 
Uh, Erica, thank you for your question and thank you, uh, thank your husband so much for his service. Thank you for supporting him. I always appreciate everything the military does and uh, and, and thank you. We're very, very, very grateful for that. Um, yeah, you guys do move a lot. <laughs> that's, that can be a little tough. It can be a lot on you guys. It can be a lot on your dog. And so that's the thing. I, I can't even imagine moving and not being stressed out, you know? So it always is going to bring some stress. So the first thing you can do is try to bring your stress levels down. <laughs> Easier said than done, and I'm sorry about that. Um, but yeah, you know, try to be a little calmer yourselves. Try to be a little not so stressed out about it. That can help. Maybe not what you want to hear. So we can put some Band-Aids on it. What do I mean by that? Exercise your dog even more. Double it up, okay? If you're moving... um in two weeks. For the next two weeks, you should be doubling up your dog's exercise. David, I don't have time for that. I know, Erica, I'm sorry, but you got to get out there and do it because you're going to be doing so much. I can hear it. You know, I, I get it, but you have to because a tired dog is a happy dog, right? And the more tired your dog is, like especially maybe even not two weeks, but maybe even just a couple days before the move, really exercising them more than you usually would again tired because if he's tired, he's going to be less likely to want to go, hey, what's going on over there? Do I need to be stressed? They're just kind of go with it, you know, and be a little more relaxed. So that's definitely something to consider. Um, to me, that's the best way to do it. Honestly, that's the best way to deal with the stress for your dog is to exercise them more. You know, you can try supplements like CBD supplements and things like that. It can definitely help. It may not, but it can. Um, I'm a big advocate. There's something called flower power. <laughs> it's actually, um, they sell it at GNC. It's a natural herb remedy. It's it's made with flowers, right? Um, look, I can be skeptical about this stuff if you want. I have seen a difference with using it. You can even drop just one drop under under their tongue. You can also just put it in your dog's water and they can drink it. So I've really liked that. It has helped in the past with certain things. That can be something that can help alleviate. Now, another thing is when you do move, when you get to the new location, the first thing you're going to want to do, take your dog for a walk. Don't take him inside the house. Go, And I know, maybe not ideal, but try to work this out so you can make the timing work where when you get there, you're going to take your dog for a big, long walk before you ever bring them inside the house. Same concept. They're going to be tired and go, eh, cool, uh, well, whatever, I'm here. You know, I'll just lay in the AC. This feels nice. Um, <laughs> okay, get, them get him exercise before you can go in the house. Another thing is I like to walk in the house in a new environment like that I like to walk into the house with my dog on a leash, controlled. I don't want to just let it be a free-for-all because, and again, I don't know without seeing, and this is why I just say, hey, oh, better overcompensate. Um, I prefer to control the walk around the house and keep everything controlled so your dog isn't like maybe pacing or panting or working themselves up uh, in a way that's unnecessary. So I like to control that first introduction to the house with a leash. And of course, like I said, walks, 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 exercise, exercise, exercise. And also try to make it a happy experience for your dog. I know when you move, you're going to be a little preoccupied getting boxes in, unloading. I get it. But try to make some time for your dog for playtime as well. Uh, bonding time, some affection time. Because it's it's easy to get distracted when you move. And it's, it's very easy to not realize, hey, oh my gosh, it's been two days and I haven't done anything with my poor pup. So so try to keep that stuff in, in mind. Try to take that into consideration. And I hope that helps out. And thank you once again for your service. The answer to today's trivia question, what mammal produces the largest litter of babies? It's the African mole rat. Yes, they can actually have litters of up to 28 babies. <laughs> 
That'll wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or that follow button, do so right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday and you're going to want to check them out. If you love what you're hearing, give me that five-star rating, leave a review, click the thumbs up. I would really appreciate it, guys. Become a patron of the show today at patreon.com slash speakadogcast. I would like to thank my patrons, my pup supporter, Regula Wright, and my dog friend, Maureen Crossan. Have a wonderful week and don't forget, get out there and walk your your dog.